Hello, everybody, and we have made it to the very last episode of the Playsheet podcast. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us throughout the preseason season and now the end of the season. As always, I'm joined by my friend Joe. Hey, guys. And uh, we won't dwell too much on the Super Bowl. It's old news now. You'll have seen every single which way possible to dissect and analyze it. So all there is left to say is congratulations to Tom Brady and the Bucks. They have had a fantastic postseason. They were really, really impressive. Commiserations, of course, to Mahomes and the Chiefs. One thing that I wasn't aware of until after the Super Bowl, Joe, but Brady obviously played with Anton Winfield Jr. this season at the Bucks and won a Super Bowl with him. But Brady has also been intercepted by Anton Winfield Sr. and he won Vikings. Yeah. Right. And he won a Super Bowl that year as well. That's absolute madness, really, isn't How it? How insane is that? There's so many like facts and stats that are coming out about Brady now. And you know, sports is subjective, but you'd have to come up with a very, very good argument to not make him the greatest player of all time in any sport ever. I mean, his longevity, his level of greatness, I think, is only matched probably by The Undertaker. And that is it. <laughs> when he put mankind through hell in a cell. Yeah, and that was only the beginning. Then he wrestled for another 15 years. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, look, Tom Brady is greatness. He is absolute greatness. And, you know, everyone wants to take stabs at him for some reason. He's been written off for the last 10 years about being too old. He'll, he'll keep on going, and I, I, I would never write off Brady getting another one. Because if he wants to, what's what's going to stop him? I mean, how much confidence do you have to have to nail a pass with the Lombardi Trophy between boats over the bloody river? Yeah, I don't think that was confidence from his <laughs> playing ability, though. I, I believe that was, that was confidence from the avocado tequila, or whatever it was he was drinking. <laughs> Quite likely, yeah. Okay, so moving on from the Super Bowl then, Joe, what we probably just want to touch on before we leave you and rejoin again nearer draft time is really just to talk about some of the key sort of landmark moves that we've seen so far and maybe a few things to to watch out for this season. So one of the probably more recent breaking pieces of news is JJ Watt and his move to the Cardinals. So what do you think this means for the Cardinals and that division then, Joe? I'm going to be honest, Charles. I don't really think it means much. JJ Watt is a player that I've got a lot of time for. You go back five, six years ago, and it's it's hard to overstate how dominant he was. I mean, every single week, fumbles, forced fumbles, sacks. The dominance. He was the flagship defensive player in the National Football League. For a couple of seasons. And I mean, since then, injury's taken its toll. Injury's taken a big toll. He's not really been fit or healthy properly for, I'd say, probably three, four seasons at least now. And he seems to always be carrying something. And because of that, you can't get consistent play out of him. You know, he showed flashes last season of what he can do. But JJ Watt's a name. And I'm not going to say that he's living off those years because the man's still working. The man's still trying. He's he's not sitting back. But I think that there's an impression that some people have in the league of him, which is based off a few years ago, rather than what he is now. I may be being a bit harsh, but perhaps that's why he's not ended up with the contract he's got at the Cardinals at a better team. Because maybe some better teams 
think that a guy who's, what, he's 31, 32, with the injury history that he does and the production that he's had over the last two years just probably isn't worth it. So that was going to be my next question, actually, which is leading up to this, there were some people that thought JJ's just going to go chase a ring and he's not, you know, he's earned enough money throughout his career. I was one of those people. Yeah. yeah. And then there were other people that thought, no, he's going to chase the bag because it's his last payday. He seems to, and this may be a bit harsh on the Cardinals, but he seems to have done neither here. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Apparently he was offered more money to go to the Browns and the Browns is arguably in a better position than the Cardinals in terms of competing for that ring. He was also offered very similar money to go to the Titans. I mean, Browns and Titans both appeared in the playoffs this season. Cardinals didn't. Do you think it's as simple as Hopkins is there, he wants to play with friends, ball out with friends in an okay climate and get paid okay? I just suppose it's a bit of a weird move, isn't it? Because he's not gone for money and he's not gone for the team that's going to give him the best chance of getting a ring. So why has he picked the Cardinals? So I think this is something to do really with a kind of culture that the Cardinals have. And let's look at what the Cardinals did. Michael Bidwell, who is the owner of the Cardinals, he flew his private jet to Houston or Texas or wherever JJ Watt is, picked him up, flew him to Arizona with his wife in a private jet. Then that evening... Michael Bidwell, Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime, all those guys, the, you know, owner, head coach, general manager of the Cardinals, they rented like the back room of a restaurant, had a big steak dinner, wined and dined him, and made him feel a superstar. And there's this culture at the Cardinals, which is this kind of culture of wine and dining, making the veterans feel like they're superstars, making them feel like they're the top guy. You wouldn't get that at New England, for example. Could you ever see, you know, Belichick? doing this kind of thing, taking JJ Watt out for a steak dinner and saying about how he's a superstar and he's going to change for a team and all this kind of stuff. They've made him feel great. They've made him feel like he's a superstar. JJ Watt, he doesn't strike me. I, I, I don't know him, but he doesn't strike me as an egotistical kind of guy. But they've, they've appealed to that side of his ego that, hey, you've made it. This is it. You're getting your big payday and you're going to play for a team and we're expecting you to take us to our next level and win. And they've made him feel good about himself. So that's part of the reason why they've chosen him. I totally agree with you, though, about he's neither done one or the other in terms of chasing a ring and taking a bag. I think that as a head coach, general manager, I think there's just a lot of risk that comes with JJ Watt. I said in a perfect world, I said this a couple of weeks ago, if there weren't, you know, divisional rivalries and that kind of stuff, Titans was the best spot for him in terms of what the Titans need, in terms of what he can offer. And in terms of where the Titans are, you know, in the playoffs, but not taking that next step. He'd have been perfect there. He's at the Cardinals. Will this make the Cardinals a better side and make them win? I don't really think so. It might improve them a little bit. It will increase their sack count a little bit, probably. But it's not going to suddenly make them, you know, NFC contenders. It's not going to make them leapfrog Green Bay, for example. So it's a funny one. Like my overwhelming feeling when this news was announced was, was just... My overwhelming feeling was being underwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. That was a basic feeling that I had. It was underwhelming. It, it's, it's just a very move, really. And that's not to disrespect the Cardinals. It's not to disrespect JJ Watt. Yeah. I mean, one person who I can only imagine is far from thrilled about this move has got to be Russell Wilson. I mean, the guy has come out so many times saying how frustrated he is of getting hit too much. And he is now in a division with J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Aaron Donald. I mean, you'd be fuming, wouldn't you? Nick Bosa. I forgot Nick Bosa. Yeah, yeah. 
Seahawks' well, priority has to be that O-line. Has to be. If they don't fix that this offseason, Russell Wilson is going to get crunched. I think Russell Wilson's got to change the way he plays a little bit. A little bit. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying, you know, maybe somewhere between 10 and 20% of the sacks he takes are because he does hold that ball a little bit too long. And, you know, it's, it's what makes him good. And when he extends a play and makes the play last, but you've got to roll with the punches when you are playing like that. So I think that, I think there's definitely a feeling that Wilson is sick of getting hit as much as he gets hit. As he's getting older and as those hits take longer to wear off, we might be seeing him change the way he plays a little bit as well. Yeah. So let's talk about Stafford and Goff and that switch that they worked out. The old switcheroo. <laughs> yeah, the old switcheroo with picks coming across as well. One of the questions I have for you, Joe, is has this trade negatively affected, or maybe negative is the wrong word, but has it affected the value of other quarterbacks and has it made it more difficult for top-end quarterbacks to force a trade? We've already seen Watson banging on that door trying to get out of Texas, but when somebody like Stafford goes for the amount of picks that he received and Goff, does it become impossible to trade someone like Watson? I'd already said this, but I said this before the quarterback moves. I mean, when you had, and I think it's from what safeties have done, safeties and defensive backs in the last couple of years. I mean, Jamal Adams went for two first round picks. Jalen Ramsey went for two first round picks. They're good players. No one's saying that they're not good players, but no matter how good they are, they're not quarterbacks and quarterbacks are always valued more. So if you've got, you know, top of the range defensive backs going for two first round picks, then what value does that put on a quarterback? It's got to be a, a, a lot more than that. And there's very, very few teams that have the draft capital to be able to give up three first round picks plus some others. Even looking at this, you've got two first round picks. I think they also chucked in a third round pick and Goff for Stafford. And again, you know, not to talk down on Stafford, he's a good quarterback, but he, you wouldn't put him in the same category as Mahomes, Brady, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. You know, he's he's that division below and even he is going for two firsts, a third and Jared Goff. Yeah, but there's a little bit of complication with this. So this is maybe not the best example fully because Goff comes with a bit of an expensive contract. So this is slightly like the Brock Osweiler trade that we had a few years ago when Osweiler went from the Texans to the Browns. And basically the Texans at that point traded Osweiler, I think plus a second round pick to the Browns in order for the Browns just to take his contract off of their hands. And so we're seeing a little bit of that here. So the value of picks that they're giving is not purely for Stafford, it's for Stafford and take away the financial burden that Goff is to us as well. So there's that. But going back to the original point, the only circumstances now where I think that we could see absolute top tier quarterbacks traded for draft picks is where there's a lowly team with a lot of draft capital like the Jaguars and Jets are this year, but where they're going into a draft where they just don't want to spend it because the talent's just not there and there's a weak draft class and they're willing to basically just give up a whole load of capital on the hope that there's a team that needs to trade and needs those draft picks and they can kind of fumigate them and mitigate them out into the league. That is the only way where I think that we can see this happening now. So, for example, so with Watson this year, I know Watson wants to go and he's made that extremely, extremely clear. But realistically, there's only two or three teams that could afford him. 
none of those teams really are going to give him a much better chance of winning than the Texans are now. Don't get me wrong, the Texans giving him no chance to win anything. But those teams are very bad, and if they give up all their draft capital to achieve Watson, they will stay bad. The league has got itself into a bit of a situation here with how trades have gone. Trade inflation. <laughs> trade inflation, that is 100% it. But mark my words, it was not quarterbacks that led to this trade inflation, really. It was the defensive back market which has fed into this. Mm, interesting. So sticking on the theme of quarterbacks, but moving away from trades... I just wanted to spend a, a little bit of time talking about Dak because that will be quite um, yeah. an interesting story to to follow throughout the offseason. Or not, because a deal has been struck since we recorded this and Dak Prescott has in fact been dealt a $160 million deal to stay in Dallas, uh, which includes the $126 million of that guaranteed with no trade clause and a no tag provision. So uh, Dak is fully in control of his destiny in Dallas. Still, with that all said, why don't you listen to our thoughts ahead of this announcement? Dak has come out and said he wants paying just behind Mahomes. Now, that is a m massive ask. So what, what do the Cowboys do? Well, yeah, a big decision to get made because, look, where they're drafting in the league, they don't have a pick as low as they probably want to pick up a quarterback, so they're not going to be able to do that. It's whether they trade for a vet or whether they stick with Dak and get that agreement. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I didn't like seeing the injury to Dak. I think that no one who likes sports could enjoy seeing an injury like that. So, so put that to one side. But do I think that Dak is a top five quarterback in this league? No, I do not. And I haven't really ever thought he's been he had a decent rookie year, but he's been unspectacular since then. He's like that second tier of quarterbacks, because the top tier make it work no matter what, but he's like that second and third tier of quarterbacks who, if they've got protection from their line, they can do things, but if they don't have that protection, they have a lot of trouble. And as the Cowboys' offensive line has gradually got worse since his rookie season, his play has got worse. And those kind of quarterbacks, you shouldn't be paying the top, top buck to. You see, what's made this arguably a very difficult decision for the Cowboys is the fact that they've just paid Ezekiel Elliott monster money to have an atrocious season. You know, and we talked about this. We talked about the dangers of paying running backs really big money. But if they had paid him and he was performing phenomenally well, then you could get away with a stand-in quarterback, arguably. You know, you pick someone either from free agency or, or from the draft. The fact that they've got all this talent in their wide receiver room means they have to have a good quarterback, especially if their top dollar running back's not performing, to dig them out of holes. And where do they get that from? <laughs> Yeah, and, and this kind of situation that they're in, though, this is this is nothing new. Everyone knew this was going to happen. Everyone knew that Dak and Zeke were coming up to big contracts at a similar time. And it was always it, like it was almost a discussion point back then that they'd have to choose one because of how they're set up as a team, how much they invest in both lines. You can't spend big everywhere. And it seems that like they've tried to do both and it's just the worst situation that they could have got themselves in. Because the question you ask is a good question. Is there an obvious contender to be a replacement for Dak? No, there's not. There's there's options, but none of them are too exciting. Like, I mean, what? Do you pick up someone like 
Alex Smith. He's a transition kind of a option at best, really. So with the options they have, if salary cap and money was not an issue, you'd probably want to keep Dak. But, but I really don't think you can pay him the money that he wants to get paid because that will handicap that team for a long time. And the problem is they've already kicked the can down the road once. To kick it down the road a second time is going to cost them. It will cost them big. Just for those of you who don't know, when you franchise tag a player and you give them the proper franchise tag, you basically give them the average salary of a top five players at that position. So Dak is getting paid well right now, but it's a one-year contract. Players don't like it because it doesn't give the security and guarantees a longer-term contract. If you want to franchise tag a player for two years running, you have to then increase what you've just paid them by 20%. So bear in mind, Dak is getting the average of the top five players right now. 20%, boom, right on top of that for a second-year franchise tag. It's almost, it's almost impossible to do at the quarterback position now because it just gets so expensive. You can do it, but it's going to really hurt you to do it because you're going to have to cut players and cut big kind of elsewhere to afford it. So let's say Dak does hit free agency. Do you see another team coming in and paying what Dak wants to be paid? Well, another really good question, Shaj. It all depends how much a GM and a head coach loves him and how much they like what they see. If they're swayed by that rookie season that they had and they think he can replicate that and that is the player that he is, then yeah, potentially, potentially. I, again, though, I don't think it would be a winning team so much. I think that if he's chasing the bag, he, he might kind of end up at a place where uh, he's not going to win trophies. It's a really good question. It is a really good question because there are going to be, we spoke about this previously, there's going to be a lot of movement in the quarterback market. Yeah. There's going to be so much movement. And while that is a blessing in, in the sense that it opens up holes, also means that there's a lot of quarterbacks and everything is in reference to something else it's i could pick up this quarterback and he's going to cost me 20 million a year is that going to be worth 15 million a year more than that quarterback is he going to give me 15 millions worth of extra performance or would i be better spending that on you know a left tackle and a guard who are going to make the line absolutely solid these kind of questions will be asked by every kind of head coach and gm and I think deep down, I think Dak has got to be asking for this money. I think the outcome that will happen, the outcome that will happen is that Dak will get paid by the Cowboys, but it won't be top five quarterback money. It will be on the edges of that. He will get paid well, but I think that he'll realise that a guy like him coming off the injury that he's just had, and with really, let's just be honest about it, take away the injury, the level of play that he has shown over the last three, four years, it hasn't been top five play. So how he's played, how he's performed, the injuries coming off, I don't think he'll get that money, but I think he will stay with the Cowboys. Yeah, and maybe what you're just talking about factors into his decision. He was asking for a lot prior to the injury. Now he's been through something like that. I wonder whether it does soften his approach a bit. Maybe he now sees the value of getting a fairly substantial long-term contract with some guaranteed pay in there and maybe he's less concerned about being the second best paid quarterback or whatever it happens to be because he understands the danger of being close to or out of contract when you suffer a horrific injury like that. Yeah, 100%. And there's also other things as well that if I was a Cowboys right now, You'd be looking after him well. You'd be making sure that he's got the physio guy that he wants. That just small dumb things like that he's getting picked up and taken to the hospital when he's got his appointments. That 
that he's being made to feel valued. And it's just something really small, but players, when it comes around to thinking about things, think, hey, this team's looked after me. They might not think that they owe a team something, but they think, hey, maybe this is the right place for me. Maybe they do have my best. And it's these kind of things that, you know, help you knock a million or two off in the negotiations too. So don't get me wrong, money is everything, and that's what it's going to come down to. But it doesn't hurt to do those kind of soft things to help get a player round to how you want him to be. Yeah. Okay, and then one more thing that I wanted to get your opinion on, Joe, is something that actually I saw on on one of the Green Bay groups that I'm part of. And the, the question arose around free agency and this idea of going all in. So since the free agency era of the NFL, do you believe in the concept of going all in? Because the way that I see it is, with the exception of the Patriots, who you could consider an outlier with Tom Brady has it ever worked when you look at the Saints as a team that has tried to do that and not succeeded I'm just thinking with all the movement that you get in today's NFL from season to season through free agency and drafting and and how fortunes can change has the concept of going all in died a death a bit (sighs) This is a real good question. It's coming up some blinders tonight, Charles. I think that the concept of all-in really is... I think it's slightly more a fan and talking head concept than it is a real concept in front offices and the locker room. I think that at the start of every season, and believe me this, believe me this, all 32 teams think that they can go to Super Bowl. There's no thinking, hey, this is a five-year plan and... Hopefully we get four wins this year and we can get seven wins next year and maybe we'll get the playoffs a year after that. That's not how they're thinking. They are thinking, I've got 16 regular season games in front of me. I need to be in playoffs at the end of the year. I'm going to do everything I can to win every single game. So when you look at it kind of financially and say, hey, these guys are all in because of their salary cap, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I think what we've seen from more teams, and this is why it's kind of less a concept, is that there's always ways to make space. And there's always ways to wriggle. And ultimately, if you're short of cap, you'll restructure. And if that player won't restructure and it's not worth him being there for the value he's on, he will get cut or he'll get moved on. So I don't really believe in the term all in. What I do believe is championship windows. And what I mean by championship windows is when you have the right players on rookie contracts at the right time and vets on favorable contracts for you so that you can afford more players at the right time it's a slightly different nuance because the concept of all in kind of is like a concept of we're throwing everything at the wall kind of like right now and people have been saying that about the tampa bay buccaneers but again i don't think that's true but i think the tampa bay buccaneers are exactly what you've just described exactly. just there. it's a championship window they've got the rookies they've got key rookies who are there playing for them cheap. I mean, Anton Winfield, Tristan Wirfs... And vets on favourable contracts like Brady. They've got their timing absolutely spot on. As you've said, you know, the rookies have come through at the right time, just as they brought in a a few vets like Gronk and Brady on favourable contracts, even Antonio Brown. They've done exactly that and look at the effect. Exactly. So this whole thing of all in, well, no, every team has the same salary cap. Every team is going quite near to that cap each year. But you get championship windows where everything is just happening at the right time. 
that's what I think it is. And I think that people get confused between the two things and almost invent this term of being all in. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. You know, it's it's the different language that fans use versus GMs. And I think, you know, you also raised the point about teams will make it work, whatever they need to do, whether it's a trade, whether it's a restructure of a deal. If you want to call that all in, then you call that all in. But yeah, that's, uh, it's very interesting. And look, the Saints are going to look very different next season, but they'll make it work. Well, several players will get cut, players will get restructured, but at the end of the day, come June 1st, when you've got to be under the cap, they will be under the cap and they will have a full team, a full roster. And again, Sean Payton will 100% think this is the year that the Saints are going to win Super Bowl. So it's windows. It's not about being all in. There you go. doesn't matter what team you're a fan of. There's hope. Your GM is sat there right now thinking they're going to win the Super Bowl. Believe. Dream. Even at the Jets. Even at the Jets. (laughs) So one thing I just want to mention, Chaz, just before we wrap up. It was a very closely fought season. Do you want me to tell you the results of our predictions for the year? I know what they are. Go for it. So just like Brady, really, uh, I came out my shell in playoffs and made predictions like a different man and uh, ultimately I pipped you I think by one point one point by a single point it is worth pointing out to fans that was because we made the playoff predictions double points but we agreed it we agreed it up front (laughs) because you arrogantly thought that it wouldn't matter because you were so far ahead (laughs) one of these days Joe just you wait right and I think it's important to also announce the results of our Super Bowl playoff bracket competition yeah, so Chris C absolutely nailed it. He had the Bucks down to win from the very beginning. Everything came through for him. He did a brilliant job. So the mug is on his way. We have reached out to him. He doesn't particularly want to come on and give his predos. I think he thinks he's had such a stormer this time round. He's a little bit nervous about giving his predictions for the upcoming season so we are going to have our second place competitor who i believe is gavin come onto the show and he can give us his predictions and his thoughts on what's going to happen in the upcoming season he is also a bucks fan as well so he'll probably be joe i imagine absolutely intolerable i'm looking forward to it but deservedly so i mean you're allowed to be intolerable when your team wins super bowl so really looking forward to getting gav on the show We'll have him on in one of the preseason episodes. You know, it feels like a long way off now, but hopefully it won't it won't take too long to come around. No, and it's worth pointing out that the draft is on Thursday, the 29th of April this year. So we will be coming out with an episode probably the week ahead of that just to drum up a bit of excitement and uh, have a few talking points around the draft. We'll then likely do a follow-up episode as well before taking a break before the run-up to the preseason. Yeah, so this is now the close of season one of the podcast. Like Charles just said there, we'll be back for the draft up. We've started our season two, but we're probably not going to have a full lineup all the way through the summer because there's stuff to talk about, but there's not stuff to talk about for a full episode of a podcast. <laughs> no. The other thing we want to say a massive, massive thank you before this episode airs. We have had 996 downloads, I believe. So providing that at least five of you listen to this one, we're probably going to break our thousand, which is more than we could have hoped for when we started this with absolutely nothing. 
and we're really, really looking forward to the second season. We're probably going to change the format a little bit, make it a bit snappier and try and spend a little bit longer on the points that are really worth discussing rather than going through absolutely everything of note. And hopefully that'll be a more entertaining podcast for you and uh, potentially save me hours editing, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, but the feedback from the listeners has been really, really helpful, really useful. It's helped form the show how we're going to have it. It's been a real, real pleasure doing the show with you over the last uh, season, Charles. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for all your hard work editing. And yeah, I can't wait to get fresh again and do it next season. The thing I'm most looking forward to, and I hope that we can get to this space, but is actually going out and doing this outside of isolation it'd be great to meet up with you know some of the different teams and different fans and get in those kind of fan mixer meetups and things like that so i'm really excited to get back in amongst the fans again because that's something that i've desperately missed this year yeah and at the end of the day you're only a, a single tube right away from me so i think that will definitely get recorded in the same room as much as we can next season as well All right then, guys, thank you so much for joining us this season. We've really enjoyed doing this and we will chat to you next month when we talk about the draft. See you for the draft.